Welcome to Zero Five O. I'm your host, Bruce Bradley, founder of recycling company First Mile. This is our Green Impact podcast, where we meet guests creating solutions for a zero carbon world. Since COVID, Brexit and the war in Ukraine, supply chain problems has become a byword for poor quality delays, shortages and higher costs. Good sourcing is vital for a business to function, and it's also vital to assess scope three carbon impacts. As a result, much more focus is now being placed on where we source services and products and understanding their carbon impact. And today's guest on Zero Five O is Sourceful, and they've built a solution for businesses to easily source better packaging with a lower carbon footprint, and they're on a mission to give businesses tools to make better decisions using technology designed to help balance cost, time, and impact. Wing Chan is co-founder and CEO of Sourceful, and I am delighted to welcome him to the show. Welcome to Zero Five O, Wing. Great to be here, Bruce. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Looking forward to hearing how you're going to uh, get us out of all these supply chain problems at the moment. I need to, it's nearly every other word I say at the moment is we can't get things. So should be excited to have you on the show. So just sort of getting straight in there with that. Um, you know, we talked a lot on the podcast about recycling, end of life products, how to recycle, how we can recycle more, what to recycle where. But a key part of the circular economy is creating demand for recycled content, products and packaging, which is your area of expertise. And I was struck immediately with your website that you're putting recycled content products front and center of your proposition. Is that something that you're driving? Is that customer demand? How important is the recycled content element of what you're doing in that sort of carbon impact reporting piece? Yeah, I think there's three aspects of it that um, make it super interesting for us. You know, the first one is consumers. Consumers have been asked to recycle, right? They've been told to do this thing, either in their homes, in their community areas, or go to a dedicated site. But that's the really the last thing that they see. So they do all this work for free, mostly, right? And they have to take their time out of their busy diaries to do this. And then that's it. That's the end of their journey with that piece of product. And of course, there is this uh, natural view that people have that it doesn't get recycled or that it gets lost somewhere in the big machinery of it all. So I think for consumers, when they see that they can buy a product that has uh, recycled content, either fully recycled or it's a mix or whatever, it just reinforces the behavior that actually this recycling um, has an impact. There's a way to do something to help. So I think it's something that consumers are, are looking out for and as a, you know, it's a positive feedback mechanism, which ultimately that's a key part of it. That, is a, this, that, so that yeah. is a really nice way of looking at it. I hadn't thought about that before because actually it's almost a case of, you know, councils are constantly like, with the stick saying recycle more, recycle more. But actually, very simply, if you can see that you're buying stuff with recycled content and it's got to have come from somewhere. So I love that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's number one. I interrupted you. No, that's no, cool. I think that's an important part. And obviously, you're, you're leading the way with uh, providing more uh, scalable, effective solutions across, across the country. I think the second thing is when you look at the materials that end up getting recycled, so whether it's paper or it's plastics or other types of materials, you have historically struggled with finish or quality. So if you think about finish, what can you print on it? So do you get a better branding when you print on recycled paper or when you print on recycled plastics? There's always been a question about finish. Then there's been a question about quality. So, you know, there's the idea that recycling downgrades the material. So, you know, is the quality of the finish good enough? Is it strong enough or there's durability? And then there's the third aspect, which is, you know, is it safe? So there's for a long time, it's, you know, food products. You can't use recycled plastics because there's a, there's a risk of uh, leakage or other chemical issues. What we've seen over time is recycling has got better. 
um, and people have found ways to uh, work around those limitations. So a lot of um, the paper industry, a lot of the default uh, paper that you use is test, it's recycled. Either the outside or the fluting or just the whole thing is recycled paper. And so that's really changed uh, the conversation about that. And that same thing's happening with plastic and so on. So I think on the second thing is the conversation around whether or not recycled materials can be used again um, is becoming less of a problem. It's now being more prevalent in the in the industry. Uh, and I think the third thing for us is the legislation. So uh, whether it's the UK plastic tax, which came in in April 2022, which you know Europe will follow and other countries will look at around 30% of the material needs to be recycled plastic. It is that question of, um, you know, why 30%? Well, that's just a good starting point that drives change. But should it be higher? Where does it get to? And you have all of these questions around functional versus aesthetic and price. But ultimately for us, uh, we want to show that there's a positive loop, that people can make a difference and also that businesses can do something now. You know, we're, we're very firm believers that we don't want to wait 10 years for the perfect packaging solution to exist. We want to help people make the decision now. Yeah. You sort of summed up everything in uh, three very well put things, and particularly at the end there, which I like, is the fact that it's about iterative changes and the env- environmentalism. And I talk about this a lot as sort of, in some ways, their own worst enemy because they tend to polarize things and are seeking some sort of utopian solution, whereas actually we just need to keep making these sort of incremental improvements. But I think it's almost like we've rehearsed this. So those three areas, I really like it, which is, you know, seeing that you can buy recycled content gives consumers and business owners purpose. There's an element of trust with the quality that we've got there, and and which is important because there is a lack of trust around recycling. And then we obviously need the legislation and the politics to. This is a systemic problem. We need systems to change and and, and law to change. So they're really three clear things you've identified. But coming back to sourceful, it feels to me like you're a technology solution. So how are you tying all of this together? Yeah. So you know we we think about uh, sustainability as being part of uh, an overall conversation that a brand needs to have with its suppliers and its consumers. And there are four key problems, but I'll just go through one for now, which is sustainability is just one of the metrics that you care about when you make a procurement decision. So as a technology business, we looked at whether or not we should be just a carbon accounting software, or should we just be a uh, digital supply chain tool to help you buy more effectively, or should we be a manufacturing tool to help you digitize manufacturers? And we actually saw we need to do the hard thing and do all of it because ultimately uh, it's not just about carbon footprint. It needs to be related to price. It's not, not just about price. It's just related to function. And it's about the marketing story for the consumer and for the supplier. And and so we really couldn't find a way to do one of those things. We had to do all of it. So Sourceful is a 50% technology digital business around digitizing the flow from I have an idea for a product that I want to design through to the actual physical aspect of buying it from the manufacturer's material center, making it in the in the production site and delivering it to the brand's warehouse to eventually go to the consumer. And so we're 50-50 split between the two um, worlds. We're kind of a digital and physical business in that sense. And those trade-offs are super important. I love how you talk about them on the website because we quite often talk to brands and, and producers once and they get to us and then they realize oh my god there's all these trade-offs and we haven't thought about them before by the time the product then hits the you know hits the waste streams and then you bringing that to the front with your sort of digital technology tools to show people the trade-offs I think is so important because quite often people are going well you know my consumers are saying I should go to move my, my you know five grams of flexi plastics to a 45 gram cardboard box 
therefore I'm going to do that because that's one piece of information which is from marketing our consumers. But are you finding that you're, when you actually surface the information and show those trade-offs in sort of clear metrics that it is changing a lot of decisions that people are making? Yeah, I think first of all, sustainability information has been so scarce or untrusted you know that, that i think the main thing about uh, greenwashing which is you know a key topic that you know you guys discuss is just uh it's not out of malice it's just out of like lack of information so you just make the best decision that you can which which used to be the easy one and now the easy one is now becoming less easy to make right and you end up on the front page of the bbc news if you make a kind of bad decision but i think it, you know we surfaced information for the full life cycle which is from the material side all the way through to the end of life assumptions that you make it for a given country. And I think really what we're trying to say is it's all about shifting left. So if you think about the, the, the journey from the very beginning to the very end, as you're saying, when it gets to the end of life, you've already done so much work that it's almost too late and now you're having to fix the best way that you can but the more you shift left the better it is for everyone on the right hand side of that and so you know our our vision for sourceful is a well designed sourcefully as in you start early in the consideration of what the recycling is going to be and if you start at the design stage you end up with a much more efficient pipeline at the end so that's kind of what we're building and from a packaging perspective, what are the key design issues that people need to consider? Obviously, we're going to say, and we're going to plug your site massively later, go to Sourceful and it'll help you. But for those people listening on the tube, what's the sort of key? Is it material choice? Is it how much ink you slap on the on the packaging? Is it where it comes from? Is it product wastage? What's the, what's those key decisions? You know, you, you know, one of the key decisions is, of course, the amount of material that you use. That is a key driver. And a large amount of wastage is because you receive these boxes and 50% of it's air. We, we think about air as one of the most expensive things that we ship around the world. You know, if you look at containers, 30 to 50% of the container sh- shipment is air. You look at boxes, you, you receive a box from your favorite online retailer, majority of it's air and padding. So actually there's a lot of wasted cardboard and plastic material. I think that's, that's one that's key. The second one, of course, is the type of material, you know, how the material is sourced. We talk a lot about made in the UK or made it locally. And of course, a lot of those materials um, didn't arrive fully formed from the neighboring site. They arrived from Europe, from uh, all over the world. Uh, And so we have to trace the material chain. I think the third one, though, that, that you mentioned is around the whole point of packaging is to protect it in transit. And there's been a huge amount of missed uh, conversations around you know if five percent or six percent of packages get damaged especially when you ship internationally you know you're not just losing the packaging you're losing the product and of course the product is the main carbon driver so every time you lose a product that you have to then remake and resend you know you're paying that full cost so you know we estimate that it's important when you do these uh, calculations that you look at both the material usage as well as the wastage rate from loss and from damage and put that all together when you make your decision. It's it's just, as you said, trade-offs and they really are key to make sure the right decisions and we have this sort of quite binary view of packaging which might be, you know, it needs to become possible, it can't be made out of plastic, it can be made out of plastic, whatever it is and actually there's a whole series of up-chain decisions that need to be made which is super interesting that you've got the tools to do that. And is um, green procurement or sourceful supply, as you call it, is that is it a definite growing trend, do you think, or is it greenwashing, marketing people want to see that they've got recycled content on the side of their packaging? Do you get a sense of 
And I totally agree that quite often some of the green, you know, some of the things that the media label as greenwashing is actually just genuine mistakes or people trying to do the right thing with unintended consequences and actually not that malicious. Sometimes it might be. But do you think we're actually moving in the right direction or do you think it's a little bit of, oh, my God, you know, we better we better look at this because consumers see it with their eyes and, and are making you know decisions away from our brand if we don't change it? Yeah, I mean, philosophically, I, I don't really care. Like, if it moves us to, towards <laughs> a better future, whether or not people are guilted into it or they do it willingly, it doesn't matter to me. But I think to answer your, your question, I think where we need to get to is around data. If you think about the actual people in the supply chain, uh, like yourselves, you drive based on data. So there's this whole gap between this marketing idea of what is sustainable, but actually the people in the business, like if, when we go to manufacturers, they know how much they're wasting. They see it. It's costing them money when they print a massive run and 20% of it has to be recycled because it couldn't be used. That's real cost to them. So I actually think in the supply chain, whether you're a courier, whether you're a warehouse, you very much care about loss. You very much care about things not ending up with the consumer. Um, but somehow when it gets packaged up as a product development curve or as a marketing curve, it gets seen as this sort of very, um, very you know, black box type of industry. I think that the issue is data. And so where I am a big fan of where green procurement or what the European Union is trying to do around around that is it's just about getting better risk factors, better data into the communication. I, what I don't like about the word green, of course, is that it's just some one kind of absolute color. And, you know, we all know that there isn't some just one state. This is a spectrum and this is a curve and it's a trade-off and there isn't just a good and bad solution. There are definitely bad solutions but the spectrum of solutions that are improvement is a wide spectrum and so to some extent i don't that we like to call ourselves focusing on being more sustainable rather than just being sustainable because that is an evolving conversation and whatever is sustainable in 2022 next year you're trying to beat that you're not just resting on your laurels and saying you know we have the perfect answer and now we're not going to do anything for the rest of our our lifetimes right it's a continuously moving target for us and context is everything in there as well, because what might work for one location might not for another, and it could Absolutely. change. Absolutely, yeah. And is the main problem that you're facing then, or the main challenge with Sourceful, is it a date? Is it a data accessing data, or is it that you can get the data, but it's presenting it back to the decision makers in a way that's useful? Well, it might be. Yeah, I mean, it's taken us eighteen months to collect the data in with enough confidence. You know, we. We're not trying to just estimate data that could be useful. We're trying to make it actionable. You know, we're trying to allow you to compare products, compare categories. So we started with um, third-party open-source data that was available in the market through academic research, and we found that it was a great baseline, but it was missing so much information. Right, it didn't take into account a lot of things that um, suppliers have been doing. Right, switching their energy supplies, switching their machines. It just, it was just very kind of average. And the problem with that is that you don't encourage good actors because if every Everyone just gets charged the average then you being above average you don't get any benefits so we took the baseline and then we modified it based on what suppliers were doing above or below that average uh, and I think that's a key part of incentivizing the supply chain you know we talk a lot about the brands making better decisions but you want to go to supply and say you're going to be the top ranked result because you've invested in this machine this energy support and that's a key part of that um, so I think that's one of the the main things that gets us excited is that the data is is usable you know what we didn't like about um, a lot of traditional lcas is that it's 
a six month, 18 month process. It looks at 12 months of your previous work. It gives you a recommendation that's already old because you've already had to make decisions outside of it, right? It's not real time. You can't do anything about it. And so, you know, we like businesses that iterate and make changes and the um, previous process of LCA is just, it's just too slow, right? What business can operate on those timeframes? And is your technology then sort of producing sort of that, that carbon impact data on the uh, sort of live, you have a, you have a product? On the fly, Excuse- yeah. So um, as you're designing that, right, you're like, I want to make it a slightly bigger or what happens if I change the, the material to be slightly thinner? What is the impact on carbon? What's the impact on price? Does it change my lead time? Do I need to switch to a different manufacturer? Is it even possible? Because sometimes you might want to make the box too small. It's like, okay, you need a thicker material or you, you, know, you need to switch your closing mechanism. So we try to help you make those decisions faster. Whereas the sourcing journey in the past has been, you want to change, wait four days. You want another change, wait four days. Or you want a sample that's going to be two weeks and a hundred pounds. And then people just get bored of it. They don't have time and they just you know, go with whatever they had before and nothing changes. Yeah, which has probably got a load of air in it. Right, indeed. In terms of the products you have on the website, are you focusing more on plastics, plastic containers, packing crates, flexible plastics, or are you working across the entire uh, range of um supply are you in a particular sector yeah so on our website at the moment is just the tip of the iceberg of what we do it's the what we're offering on the on the platform is the key repeatable products across category so they're e-commerce packaging you need boxes of different sizes you need bags you need tape you know whether you're in fashion or beauty you need that however a lot of our work is actually going in after you've done the e-commerce side to actually look at the product packaging so that's whether that's glasses, uh, plastic replacements for that, uh, trying to replace plastic with alternatives, uh, what does compostable mean in the packaging environment, uh, what's food safe. So a lot of those conversations are specific to the supply chain. So we'll then embark on a project with the brand to look at their supply chain and what is the best way to minimize the carbon footprint that they're looking for and then how to then get the best price, whether that's local sourcing or uh, trying to minimize waste in the buying process or whatever that needs to be. So you talk about you know getting the the packaging fit for purpose, print on it, getting it the right size, but you have something as well called an impact engine. And is that the impact engine just about carbon or is that across all of the different spectra of um, getting the right brand impact, price impact, carbon impact? Yeah, so impact engine returns back the carbon footprint per unit as well as the the price per unit that you could actually go and execute on that day. So it's not just an estimate of a price. It's a live price that, the manufacturer has agreed could be executed. The same thing for the lead time. So it's as good as if you're on Amazon and you're looking to buy a product and when you press that one click checkout, there you go. Um, that's what the impact engine does. And we take the risk on any spread if our calculations are wrong. Um, luckily, our calculations have been good so far, but of course, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes with the currency market and everything else. But we're trying to give brands the, the kind of certainty around making better decisions. For us, it's all about speed. We, we calculated that it looks around nine to 12 months for a reasonable size business to change their packaging. That's just way too long and people don't have time. So they just go with something simple, but that simple does, is not optimal. Uh, and there's a lot of opportunities to reduce carbon if, if we can just make that faster. And you must be carrying quite a lot of risk there because with inflation at the moment and supply chain problems, the, um, the prices are changing very quickly. So you must have a lot of confidence in that pricing engine to commit to a price when things are changing so quickly. Yeah, I mean, we came from a background, a lot of us came from e-com, where prices, discounts, uh, trading was happening on a hourly basis uh, across hundreds of thousands of products. So yeah, we're comfortable with, with that type of risk, uh, but it's a, it's a fun game for us because it's a data problem. 
Yeah, perfect. What's the type of packaging that you're, and again, I know context is everything, but what sort of, or maybe there isn't a simple answer to this, but is there a type of packaging that has the highest carbon impact that you're trying to generally steer people away from, or does it all just depend very much on the on the service that that packaging is going to fulfill? Yeah, I think two things. Um, I thought about this. You know, one is uh, multi-plastic type of packaging where you need different types of plastics, different layers, different chemicals cut together. It's both uh, a nightmare, as you know, from a recycling point of view, when you've got different layers of different plastics and just separating that is a, is a nightmare. But also just from a production point of view, just being able to put that all together is very expensive time, money, and, and carbon. And then the second thing, which is probably the more controversial thing that we've been spending a lot of time researching on is compostable plastics. And just the the marketing aspect of it is, you know, this thing comes from a plant and you put it in the garden and suddenly it becomes a tree again. And the reality of it is it normally requires a lot more carbon intensity to produce it. And in most cases, from what from what we've understood from the data, it doesn't end up in an, in an ideal state for composting. And so as a result, it both returns back CO2 and methane to the atmosphere in our time frame, and it also requires more energy to extract it. So it does neither of the things that you thought it did when you marketed it. And I think we've been working really hard on, is there a world, are there materials that are bio-based where compostability, outside of paper, of course, which is the, which is very well recycled, but outside of paper, are there streams, are there types of materials that are compostable in a way that we believe is the desired impact, as in it, you know, biodegrades peacefully and doesn't re- release a lot of methane and it's an effective way to be extracted. Because if not, and if our calculations are correct, it could be that it's worse than fossil fuel plastic which is a huge result and would change a lot of uh, businesses. And we're working on that at the moment, trying to figure out how we can get it scientifically verified because, you know, we want people to make better decisions, but what we don't want to do is steer people to materials that are actually worse for the environment. That would be completely counter to what all of us in this industry are trying to do. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's absolutely right. And there's no blame game because what people are trying to do here is to get an alternative world where we've got more sustainable products. And I think it's really important that we consider in full a compostable debate we consider in full how we're going to use plastics and how we're going to use paper but actually what we shouldn't do is run away from the facts and the decisions and from a from a end of the line end of the pipe recycling company two things you've just said there which are really important is how do we find compostables that fit into the array of packaging we've got that work well for us i would argue let's aim for films that are heavily food contaminated that are harder to recycle and not sort of pots that look exactly like a PET pot and um, the other thing is which is music to my ears if only it would happen is we tend to a bit like your 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 conversation earlier about saying green is one color people use plastics as if it was one material there's thousands of different (laughs) polymers there's there's six or seven that are mainly used for packaging but then they come in three or four different formats. But then, and that's before you start uh, laminating different polymers together. It's very difficult to recycle when we've got so many different uh, polymer types and just being able to get the packaging world to use, you know, two, maybe three different polymers would be amazing from a recycling uh, perspective. And particularly around things like flexible plastics, where there's you know, over 400, nearly, nearly half a million tons of flexible plastics, and we're recycling very little, but there's several polymers. I mean, you probably know better than me that are using that flexible packaging world, that, and therefore separating them is very difficult. Yeah, and I, I, felt, I felt that stat. You know, I feel, 
I feel that we have an obligation as as an industry, but also we got to figure out what the incentives are across the whole whole stack because the recycling side hasn't been integrated with the manufacturing side enough to understand what are the key pain points and drivers of your cost base as well uh, and what would the manufacturers how do manufacturers get incentivized to then align on a standard because a lot of these things a lot of stories that are, you know I learned about growing up around the problem when a plastic that isn't a plastic looks like another plastic is the fact that it then gets up ends up in the wrong stream and can cause all of the issues so sometimes counterintuitively you want it to make it look very different in order that it gets picked up and so a lot of this stuff is of course not known to the brands or to consumers and so you know how do we bring end of life into the conversation earlier on in the design journey as well as in the conversation with consumers too uh, i think it's a big thing that we can play a part in changing as well and that integration is really that's a very interesting point i never thought of it like that before but cobalt boxes which are highly recycled recycle a lot of them recycled in the uk the big card manufacturers like smurfit david s smith they've also got waste management recycling arms as well and and that is integrated um across the piece and it'd be nice to maybe see some of the plastic packaging producers trying to reach down into which maybe the plastics tax will force that to happen and reach down into the supply chain to pull more materials through so it could be interesting times so what's the hardest data to get packet uh, the hardest packaging type to get data on is it is it a particular stream or is it a particular format that is difficult to get data on there's there's one thing that is being really curious for us around microplastics, uh, and this is part of the calculation of whether or not one plastic is better than another. Microplastics is a key consumer knowledge trend. There's, there's articles every week about whether it's killing our fish, our birds, our humans, our babies, everything, right? But in terms of how much actually ends up in the soil, freshwater, or marine environment, there's a question of like, actually, okay, for the X billions of tons like what percentage actually ends up there that doesn't get captured in the main streams and then of that what is the leakage into those environments and then of that what is the actual damage and, and all of those questions are still very much unknown what we've been looking at is trying to understand how we could blend microplastics into our impact calculations because the the current methodology that we use that is the kind of common standard for LCA that takes into account greenhouse gases as well as other things like land use and water use, they don't specifically call out a microplastics risk. But we know that consumers and brands and governments are caring about microplastics because it's something that people don't want to think that they were the ones that drive in 20 years time, everyone's just eating microplastics out of everything. What we're trying to do is understand how we could measure it. I think that's one of the open questions for us in the next 12 months is how can we measure what our contribution to that is? You know, is it a major one? Where where are the sources of this? Is it too late? So kind of in the kind of carbon question of the battle for carbon is the first battle's already lost, right? Climate change is already here. Are we at that stage or is it still early enough that we could do something about it? And also I imagine there's an element of, I mean, I think that's a really interesting question actually because there's an element of microplastics which occur with things like abrasion and as the product is used, but then there's a massive amount, I imagine, which is very much dependent on where that plastic ends up. You know, the first, the first rule of waste management isn't recycling, it's containment um, and making sure that we're not losing plastic into the environment, marine environment or land or air, whatever it is, or sorry, waste, not plastic. So, and that's probably the hardest bit to track really, because if it's lost, it's lost and getting the data on something that's lost is the challenge. Yeah. So good luck with that. We'll get, we'll, we, we will do a microplastic special in 12 months time to see how you got on. 
yeah, we've got to solve it. Got to catch <laughs> all. Yeah. It sounds like you're solving a lot. I've sort of got a final geeky question before. I'm really keen to hear your background wing and the listeners will be as well and, you know, a bit more about Sourceful and how you got to that point. Before I do, I just want to touch on the plastics tax because um, since it came into force in April, it sort of keeps cropping up on the podcast. Help us out. What is it? Is it making a difference? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it sort of doesn't actually make a difference? Well, it's basically for uh, traders, manufacturers, anyone bringing it in or making it that product that they create and pass on to the next person needs to have at least 30% of that plastic be traced back to be recycled uh, material. And if then the point of it is, if it's over 30%, 30% or over, um, there's no tax. There's no added levy for, for doing that. You're fine. So whether you're 30% or 100%, you're, you're good. Um, but if you're below that, then you have to pay um, a price per ton, which is set at a, uh, kind of a fixed rate for now. And that is something that may, may change over time. And one of the key uh, challenges or considerations, of course, is there is no good third-party verification method for looking at a finished piece of plastic and actually understanding how much percentage recycled it is. That's a really key problem across a lot of industries because, of course, you don't start with pure film. You convert it, you laminate it, you add inks, you you, know, you color it in general, you convert it, add it to metal, and all these things. So actually, when you take the finished products, if you were to do an audit and take a bunch of finished plastics, how do you know what percentages it is in? And as far as the research that we've done, and we're working with companies that are trying to solve this in a scientific way, but right now there isn't a official standard checking mechanism. So the only mechanism is to go back through paper records. So, you know, when you bought that material, what was your chain of custody? When did it first get split into a percent recycled and non-recycled material and follow that? But I think the, the key thing is that it it isn't really that large that a lot of brands would care but it, it what it does is it already starts the issue of why are you even paying a tax like even though it's not a material economic number for a lot of brands i think it starts the conversation of i don't want to be in that bracket i don't want to be known as a brand that had to pay a premium in some form and so i do think it's helping us to move away from that so on our site we start off at 95 percent post-consumer recycled and 50 percent and we just we didn't want to get anywhere close to the 30 percent uh, and i think brands have come to us trying to switch away from a uh, a virgin recycled material and try to move away from that as well. And I think the interesting areas is where it currently isn't possible to have PCR in recycled packaging and actually the tax is going to drive innovation to say actually we can do this as we, you know as happened with recycled uh, PET drinks bottles where we moved to a technology where it's co-extruded with a very thin layer of virgin on the inside to get around the laws around not being able to use recycled content that gets into contact with food. So um, I think there's some real sort of exciting future possibilities there but that is great so right okay how on earth did you get into supply chains and sourcing recycled content packaging love to hear your story Ray. sure so i'm a computer scientist by trade i studied um, computer science at university but the, the real start of the story actually begins with my father so my father um, came to the uk when he was a teenager studied software engineering back in the day when you use punch cards to, to code. Um, and then he was a, a software engineer for the last 40 years. But specifically, he found his his niche in supply chains, working on warehouse systems, logistics, trying to build systems for companies in the UK that were doing international trade around the world. And so he was always in that space. Uh, and so 
I always said to him, you know, this space is boring. Why would you not? Why would you ever do this? You should do consumer <laughs> yeah. stuff. It's fun. Like you should, you know, you should do all the internet things. And he was like, no, this is this is where the fun is at. This is where the physical stuff actually happens. All of the stuff that you do is just zeros and ones. So uh, eventually, I realized he was right. Of course, it took me, you know, the first ten years of my life to sort of run away from that. But prodigal son, I kind of returned. Um, I spent eight years at. Um, an e-commerce company that was shipping um, products to consumers around the world, 180 plus countries, um, hundreds of millions of, of revenue. And we were really focused on the marketing and technology side. So how could we make the product sound better, look better, be priced more affordably? How could we distribute it around the world? Um, but there wasn't a lot of conversations around me- making better products. And so I think that was a key driver for me was how can we actually make better products rather than just selling more products? Uh, and that led me to what became the, the idea for Sourceful, along with my co-founder, Sharon, who's my wife. Brilliant. And do you think do you think we've got a chance of solving this problem? Well, we have to solve it. The later we solve it, obviously, the more consequence we'll, we'll live with. I think what gives me hope is every time we have te- technical innovation, we have this period where we enjoy the fruits of that labor. And then we realize that we've actually inadvertently caused a second problem that could even be worse than the problem that we solved. But we keep solving the problem and the state of the art keeps moving. And yeah, so I I see this industry, when we talk about the industrial revolution causing all of this pain, I, I think, you know, we solved a whole bunch of major issues with the industrial revolution, right? We allowed the society to thrive as a whole we solved that problem which was like how do you move things around the world how do you create products that last longer how do you stop mining metals to create plastic toys like that was the key problem they solved it so i don't blame anyone for that process i think now we have to find new technology solutions to this problem and no doubt we'll create the next problem and so yeah the legacy will be the next generation gets to solve the problems that we've created but hopefully along the way we've solved one of the problems that we've been tasked to solve this generation so i'm excited about it and i remain uh, an optimist and i just think it's, I, I just love the fact that you've sort of clearly super intelligent technology professional but it's got a massive dollop of pragmatism around it and probably comes out from 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 being brought up by your by your dad around that sort of actually we're half technology and we're half actually getting delivering stuff and getting people into the house and i just think that that level of pragmatism is fantastic wing what what's coming up that you're most excited about that you can share with us uh yeah we're expanding our offering so at the moment business on our platform can only buy in the uk but they'll soon be able to buy um, in Europe and the US. So really excited about uh, allowing more brands to participate. Uh, the second thing is, yeah, we'll be publishing our research on compostability and look forward to sharing that with you, Bruce, and the wider community around what does it actually mean and and are, are there good use cases or is it just not worth us going down that route right now? And then we'll be launching uh, new products and hopefully trying to bring new materials to market sooner rather than later. And we'd love to have a conversation about end of life and how we can make sure that those new materials can be handled in the right way, especially when they're new to the uh, to the streams and maybe haven't been picked up before. But yeah, lots lots that we're working on. Brilliant. And then sort of in terms of your um, business horizon, I won't put a timeline on it because I don't know what that exactly is, but what's, what's success look like for you and, and what's the sort of the biggest hurdle for you getting there? 
our, our goal is for the best brands in the world to trust us with their core supply chain. You know, our mission is to make better products, um, more sustainable products at scale. So it's not really about, you know, a lot of sustainability is uh, toy projects from the big companies to do like one-off runs here and there. We want to help drive the major things in your household and your shopping every day and, and move that needle. That, that's our goal, uh, impact at scale on a global level. I think, you know, for us, it's a 20-year goal. We, we're not going to get there overnight. We're, what we're focusing on right now in the next couple of years is building trust. You know, we're helping large consumer brands in the sort of 10 to 100 million revenue of their revenue range to build trust that we can be relied on to deliver supply chains in probably the most volatile supply chain period of all time, which is where we started. So I think if we can do that, then we can earn the trust to do packaging plus the next stage, which is more product packaging and eventually into the products themselves. Right. And that is very interesting to get into products as well. I'd love to see some items of clothing being put through your platform to see what the impact of those is. It'd be amazing. Amazing. And what the listeners need to do um, to help you succeed, because that's uh, you know clearly a very mission-driven business as you alluded to earlier saying you know philosophically i don't really care how we get there we just need to get there what should our listeners do differently to help you succeed well i think if they're um very ambitious talented and hardworking, they should apply to join sourceful of course um you know we're we're hiring <laughs> to, to build for the future i think secondly just being aware of what you're buying just the level of awareness is sign that uh, brands are noticing uh, whether that's in customer service queries, whether that's on social media, I think making your voice heard. Don't take it for granted that other people have said something about it. You know, you'll be surprised how many founders of brands will re- read a comment and they'll act on that comment. So don't just assume that because someone else who's more activist has said something. Like if you look at it and you're like, this is wrong, this is not working, say something. More than often, someone will look at it and they'll do something about it. And I think that's how change often starts here too. Yeah, talk more about it. We talk about COVID all the time. We should talk about the uh, yes. other, other little crises we have a bit more as well. Before we get on to our final question, the Hall of Fame, um, let's hear how our listeners can find Sourceful and you, if you want to publicize yourself. Sounds like some vacancies. So people, uh, how did you describe candidates? Talented. Yeah, talented, hardworking, uh, passionate, I think. Yeah. Um, there we go. Talented, hardworking, passionate. Definitely Sourceful. How do we find you? Yeah, so we're on sourceful.com, sourceful with one L. We're on social media, uh, LinkedIn. We just launched Instagram or also on Twitter. But I mean, the main point of core is to go to a website. You can drop us a message on the contact us form. There's a jobs page where we have all of our vacancies. But we're, we're interested in working with anyone in the space who's trying to make a, a better future. So please send us a message. We'd love to connect. Perfect. And that's sourceful.com with one L. Brilliant. Wayne, finally, it's been amazing having you on the show. My final question is we have this uh, thing called the Hall of Fame, the First Mile Planet Saver Hall of Fame, uh, where we ask, ask our guests to leave one thing. It can be a physical thing. It can be a person. It can be a thought. What would you leave in the First Mile Planet Saver Hall of Fame? I think LCA. Excellent. Yeah, I, I think I never, I never thought that this thing existed. And then I realized, wow, there's been 20, 30 years of research plus on trying to build a way to actually calculate impact and i think you know impact is the fourth industrial revolution and i'm just glad that in our space there is already a mechanism or a tool base to start building the solutions to our problems here and lca for those that don't know is life cycle assessment so that is good yes. we have a 
we have a, a tool in the Hall of Fame, which is fantastic. I like that. It's a good thing to take forward into the future. Wing, it's been absolutely amazing having you on the show, and um, we wish you all the best with Sourceful. It sounds absolutely amazing. I definitely urge uh, listeners to check out the website, even if you're not sourcing things or procuring things. It's a really informative website and doing some fantastic things, so check it out. Wing, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. I'm Bruce Bradley, and you've been listening to Zero Five O, where we meet incredible people creating solutions for a zero-carbon world. Keep listening to all episodes on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zero Five O.